Hi, I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. Hello and welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. My name is Daniel. I'm here with Pastor Troy and I'm here with Josh. Our clean new, shaven Josh. Clean shaven Josh. So new it's a whole improved. new Josh. A whole new Josh. I, yes, a whole I new. Him. Wow. So anyway, um, yeah, we're, we're excited to start. And uh, Troy, what are, we, what are we reading about today? Oh, this week is a really amazing, amazing moment in the Bible where we go from the transition of Saul to David. And so we come to the end of Saul's life, and it Woo, really I mean, is, it is, celebrate? It is it is a soap um. opera of, of mega proportions <laughs> where you have um, uh, Saul, he just goes, it just goes from bad to worse, but a little bit of witchcraft involved, mm. uh, yeah, so uh, some uh, seances, uh, uh-huh. psychic readings. My kind uh, of party. And, uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. And, uh, and, then he, and then he dies as a result. And then he so, dies. Oh, so, my uh, kind of party. So, lesson, <laughs> so lesson, lesson for all, do not go to a fortune teller. Uh, and, uh, and then David <laughs> takes the throne. Uh, and uh, and then we begin the begin the beginning of David's rule over Israel, and uh, and he was Judah. He wasn't over Israel for the entire time. He was just over Judah. So we get to see that transition and so forth. Really, uh, one of the uh, cool part uh, of Scripture. And uh, so then all Psalms and Proverbs, I've, you know, they're great. They're great. I don't know, just uh, so if you haven't read through the Psalms uh, for this week, they are they're good. And I think probably we have a question later from one of the Psalms. And uh, and then we close out the Gospel of Luke this week. And uh, which is always, uh, you know, the Gospels are amazing. And so Luke's story comes to an end, uh, which is really picked back up in the book of Acts. But in between Luke and Acts, we have the Gospel of John, which like we are starting to. The Rogue into. One of the yes. Bible. And, and the Gospel of John, <laughs> there is not a chapter in the Gospel of John that is not mm. amazing to mm. read. In fact, we say this all the time. If you don't read anything else in the entire Bible, the Gospel of John is the one book you need to read. In fact, it's been said many times that the Gospel of John is all that's really necessary for a person to to mm. fully understand the Gospel. Yeah, and, uh, and it is. It, I think it was written for that reason that God gave us kind of the synopsis of everything about mm. the Bible. In fact, it starts within the it beginning. Starts within the beginning. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and Whoa. so we get the um, so we have our own little Genesis moment in the Gospel of John, and we get through uh, Nicodemus, the encounter with Nicodemus, the most quoted verse in all of the Bible. I think um, it's also the highest Google search. John 3.16? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I've heard of that verse. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll cover it. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. It was Just in the Passion of the Christ. It was in the Passion of the Christ. <laughs> yes. uh, and... <laughs> Uh, and then we get to John four, which is uh, after the encounter with Nick. Two of my favorite stories in the entire Bible are right there, back to back, and that's Jesus's encounter with Nicodemus, which he just gives us so much incredible 
I mean, life-changing information. And uh, and then has this encounter with the woman at the well, the mm. Samaritan woman, and just uh, just so many barriers busted through in that passage. And so I don't know if anybody's going to cover that today in the reading and their devotional things. But uh, but if you if we don't. That doesn't stop you from reading it. So if you're listening and you're thinking, I have no idea what he's talking about, the woman at the well. Oh. Well, you should read John chapter four. Check that out. Yeah. And but, and then and then then come on the podcast and comment about it. Yeah. So we love yeah. that. But anyway, so lots of stuff to talk about and uh, and, a, and a great week of reading as well. All right, welcome back from the break. We're going to talk about what we read in the Bible this week. We Ooh. like talking about the Bible here. If you we like do. talking about the Bible, you can message us at Daniel or Troy or Josh at fbcj.us, and we would be happy to uh, either talk with you or get you on the podcast yeah. or um, any number of things. Yeah, so. that's Daniel at fbcj.us. Right. Or Troy. Troy. <laughs> There's no or. There's yeah. no or in there. Yeah. And Josh now. Yeah. Josh. There is Josh a Josh at fbcj.us. So anyway, Troy, you want to start us yeah, off? Yeah, this was uh, this week of reading was such that there was so much, so much to pull from that it was hard to choose, and even more difficult is choosing because we're we're not going to share everything we learned this week is sharing choosing what to share uh, because there's so much good stuff. I, I can't encourage you enough to read if if you have not started with the Bible reading, start where we are right now. Just start with yeah. Gospel of John. Uh, First and Second Samuel, those are such awesome places to be in God's Word because they're, it's so it, it's incredible. And, and Psalm 59, 60, mm-hmm. uh, the Psalms are good. The Prover- Proverbs 16, awesome. Uh, so there's so many good things to be pulling out of the reading. Uh, just so if you if you were looking if you if you got started in Genesis and you got bogged down somewhere in Leviticus or Numbers and you and you dropped off, uh, just plunge back in right now in in First and Second Samuel. Because if not, you're never gonna be able to read the Bible again. Ever. Ever. This like is your last just, chance. It moves on. That's right. Forever. That's right. That's right. There's no coming back. Um, just don't, kidding, everybody. I hope you're not discouraging people from reading the Bible. Guys, Josh I'm just says kidding. I got all read the Bible. Read this. That's right. Go to Bible. Read the Bible. That's right. Exactly. Go to Bible college. There you go. Learn more about it. First uh, Samuel 22 is what I wanted to start with. First uh, Samuel 22, 2. Because I always like it when the numbers are all the same. Makes it easy. Um, it does. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, meaning David. Uh, so he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. I I loved that little passage stuck out to me this time because David is um, estranged from Saul. Saul is king, uh, obviously, still over Israel. Uh, he is in, in, in enmity with David because David has... Uh, he knows that David, that God is favoring David, and he's jealous of him and fears him, even though repeatedly David is not trying to undermine him to a fault, will not hurt Saul or do anything to damage him, David, and which makes Saul even more. But the spirit has left Saul. It is upon David. He sees that God has favored David. He knows that the house is going to be taken away from him. It's it's really I think so. What one of the things compelling about it is so tragic about it is that you have a man who knows that the kingdom is being taken away from him. He knows that God has decreed that this is going to happen, and he can't do anything to stop it. And he tries. He makes every effort to try to still do what he wants to do, but now God is not with him. 
And it is it, it is a tragedy every time in our lives when we decide to do something that God doesn't want us to do. And when God becomes our adversary, we lose every time. And and but to, but to accept that God has said, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's, it's a bitter pill. It's a bitter pill to take. You think we think sometimes I just you know it's like Esau when he gives away his birthright and uh, and his and his blessing. You know he, he says he, he you know you come back for it with tears. He comes back to his dad begging and begging and begging. And it's like no, I've already given the blessing that your brother ripped off uh, <laughs> and cheated you out of uh, and and so forth. So it's it's one of those things. There's such regret uh, for wrong decisions, but uh, but. But the lesson to be learned, I guess, if any, is to say, okay, now let's move on from here. Don't try to, you can't go back. You can't bring that which God is not going to bring back. You just have to move on and, uh, and and go on from there. And there's grace in that if if Saul would have learned that, but he never did. Yeah. But in David's side, uh, David is still trying to, and and all the worthless people, all the all the misfits <laughs> all line themselves up with David. And, and, you know, it really is kind of a picture of what Jesus was like. You know, when Jesus was here, the people who came to him were not the well-adjusted people. It was the people who really didn't have anywhere else to go. Uh, people were like, and, and Jesus kept saying that, you know, it's not the, it's not the healthy who are seeking, you know, a doctor. It's, it's those who are sick. And, I had a. It reminded me of a story of I had a friend who uh, I reference all the time who uh, pastors a church in Bowling Green and I the dr- director of missions came to me and he said hey you really need to stop hanging out with this guy because he really just has a church of misfits uh, it was a church that was thirty people and it grew and had several thousand people but he said he can't pastor anywhere else he can only pastor that church because it's just a church of misfits and I and I said looked at him I said. It sounds very similar to Jesus's ministry. <laughs> yeah, and and I and he kind of looked at me and it looked like eh, whatever. And uh, but you know we we get it in our heads that we fall into that lie of that uh, that there's this idea of what normal people are mm-hmm. and well-adjusted people, and we want to live in a neighborhood where all the homes look pretty and where all everybody drives this certain type of car, and we think that that's going to be good. But it's never good because you can't maintain that. And, and and sometimes God is your greatest adversary in living that life because he doesn't want us to get to a place where we don't need him. He, The people who know that they need help are drawn to God because they need help. And God wants us to be drawn to him. So it's not like sometimes it, I think even as we're children growing up in our households, we think that our parents want us to be where we don't need help ever. But the reality is, is that we all do need help. And if we don't recognize we need help, then we never ask for it. And we think we're doing a great job where, where we're, but we're just simply hiding or running away from our weaknesses instead of uh, conquering those weaknesses. And, and God is wanting all of us to recognize one, that when you see people who have weaknesses and inabilities and so forth, those aren't people to shun or to cast away. Those, those are people to receive in. And we do that best when we recognize our own weaknesses, our own need for a Savior. When we recognize we are also fallen, that we are also flawed. Um, it grieves me at the, a number of people I've met in the ministry who, when you begin to share 
uh, when you when you trust that you can share who you really are, and they're and they look and like, oh, you shouldn't, you know, a preacher shouldn't be like that, or you shouldn't be like that, and it's like, I don't think I can come to this church, or I don't think I can be a part of that because you, you know, obviously you have too little hair or something like that. But the, uh, but so, I mean, you'd be amazed. Uh, the, but the thing is, is that I, I, I. I always am amazed at how there are people still within the body of Christ who think that they can do this on their own without God, mm-hmm. that God's impressed by them, yeah. that God's impressed with their life, that God mm-hmm. looks at them and goes, oh, wow, you're, you're, you're like, should be in my display case in heaven because right. you're such an amazing Christian instead of realizing we're all buggered up. Yeah, right. Yeah. Ew. Interesting. Yeah. You are, but you're, you're buggered up. I'm not buggered up. No, I'm kidding. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm in Psalm 62 uh, today, um, one through two, just the first two verses. I wish I could go through the first eight verses, but our reading plan stopped at four. But I'm still going to talk about them. Cause Thou shalt not read ahead of the reading plan, <laughs> right. Josh. Don't read ahead. Right. Um, but they basically repeat themselves uh, for the first eight verses, which is really cool. But the first two verses says, um, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. And um, this is where I've been at for the past week <laughs> of just waiting for the Lord. Um, it was just a really hard week for me. Uh, yeah. Just there was a thing coming up for me that I just I had to wait for. Um, I did not know what decision was going to be made on anything, and so I was just truly sitting in. Well, I wasn't in silence for the whole week, but there was just a point where I was like, I can't do anything. So I just have to sit here and wait. But um, after I read this, it was just that moment of, oh, yeah, but that waiting wasn't just sitting there just being miserable. It was this anticipation of God doing something good. And that's exactly what's happening here um, in, in these verses. It's this, my soul waits in silence. Why? Because from him comes my salvation. Mm-hmm. Something good is coming. And so if you look in verse four, which... Uh, or verse five, sorry, I know we didn't read it, but it says, um, for God alone, my, oh, my soul, wait in silence for my hope is from him. Mm-hmm. And it's like salvation and hope. These good things come from him. And so when we wait, it's not just to, not just to be stagnant and sit there and just like, you know, deliberating on what's going to happen to you next. But this, this anticipation of God's going to save, God's going to bring hope, like he's mm-hmm. good. Um, and so I think that's a, that's, that's what really stuck out to me was that from him comes my salvation. And then verse two, he alone is my, uh, my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. That, um, just confirmation of who God is, um, for the, for, I believe David wrote this song. I'm not sure. Um, I, someone wrote it, but anyway, for that, for that understanding, it somebody, says a psalm of David. Somebody, I'm like, uh, that, that I hope so. Then it's probably but David anyway, that's, yeah, that's fairly. Accurate. But it, it, it's just that understanding. Like this was a confirmation for himself of saying, like, hey, yes, God is my salvation, and here's why: because He's my rock and He's my fortress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just find it interesting that we don't use those words to describe God anymore. We're just like, you got this, God, and it's like, no, God, you're my rock, you're my solid foundation, you're my fortress on which anything like storms can't take it down. Nothing. You are just God and that should give us so much hope and um when we're when we're waiting so if anyone out there is waiting right now like be anticipating that god is going to save and he's going to do good things um so yeah that's what that's what stuck out to me this week yeah Yeah. that idea of not being shaken because you're waiting on the lord like your soul finding rest in god and not being shaken by things, I think is, is so hard to live out because you're not generally we're not actively thinking every single moment 
resting on the Lord. Now I'm resting yeah. on the Lord. I'm <laughs> right. No, we're like living our lives at a thousand miles an hour, yeah. taking no time to to rest or, or wait on God for anything. Mm-hmm. And then something, you know, windy comes along and kind of sh- it does shake us because our souls mm-hmm. aren't finding rest yeah. in God. We're not waiting on him. Therefore, we will be shaken. Like mm-hmm. the opposite is true. And I think that's the true too often for us, I mean, especially believers who mm-hmm. feel this overwhelming urge to to do for God, check right. this box, be better at this discipline, you know, all these things. And they're not bad things in and of themselves, but we so we so have are driven to achieve for God sometimes yeah. that yeah. Um, that resting on Him, um, we don't we're not afforded that kind of rest. Yeah. Well, and kind of afraid of not being in God's show box in heaven. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not going to make it. It's like, yeah. no, you are. <laughs> Just relax. Yeah. Well, I don't know that. that. The, um, <laughs> the, well, the, you know, the, the, uh, we were talking about uh, going to Alaska and yeah. about how I talked about when we're, when you stay by yourself, a guy had told me that you don't really rest because you, uh, you're always afraid that you're going to be eaten by a bear and that's all you can get in your head. And, the, and, it, and you don't, we all laugh about that here. But you think about it, nobody's worried about a grizzly popping into the door and in you know, mauling Austin over there. Uh, and, <laughs> right. um, and and we it's the same as when you're not in war. I mean, we we are in uh, we really have the peace of the Lord uh, all the time uh, here and, and we don't recognize it. Uh, but when you are in a time of war or when you are shaken and so forth, these are the times that that catches off us off guard and we freak out and so forth. Mm-hmm. David yeah. is saying that I can be in a time of war. I can be at a, in a place where I am exposed, where uh, the enemy does have access to me. Yet at the same time, God is my fortress. Right. And uh, and and we put so much faith in the things we have created, the situations mm-hmm. we have created, that when when all of a sudden we see a weakness in those things, it's, you know, it's like the coronavirus. It's like all of a sudden there was something that we felt we didn't have, and people put their faith in masks or people with their faith in this. I'm not saying you shouldn't wear a mask. I'm not saying this isn't an, an indictment on anybody who does that. <laughs> but it is saying that the fact that you got afraid in those circumstances mm-hmm. shows that he he is not your fortress. That the same God who protects you from every microbe out there on the right. planet, the same God who provides oxygen for you on a daily basis, the same God who makes the the meteors go in a different direction, or you know, and keeps Armageddon from popping up every <laughs> other day, that's the same God who you know is our fortress and our our rock. And, and so, to when we understand that, when we we see that, uh, it's it's like when your children are playing and enjoying life and laughing and so forth. As a parent, that's when you feel at your best because mm-hmm. they feel they have that peace, that joy that you are providing because they have faith in you. They're, they're not even thinking about it, mm-hmm. you know. They, but they, but by their actions, they're showing that they have faith and trust in you. It's when they look up and look around, and you're not there, and you see that fear that comes out. Mm-hmm. If you're, I hope you don't do that on purpose to your children, but sometimes <laughs> well. by by accident, <laughs> by accident uh, you'll see that all of a sudden their that security is taken, and it's a terror yeah. that comes into their faces and so forth, and 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 that's what David is is mm-hmm. talking about, and uh, is that he he has such confidence in God that right. God is his fortress even in the moments when you would not see him or not know he's there. It's just a, a trust that everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I, I think peace, the word peace mm-hmm. is is the thing. When you yeah. can't 
when you can't have a sense of peace, when you can't have joy uh, because of your surroundings, it's because you don't see God as the fortress that is protecting you. But he is. Yeah. And that's like, I think coming out of this past week for me, it was just, I mean, it just, again, a reminder of how weak we are as humans. It's like, man, you know, you think you've got this and then boom, something happens and you just lose control for a day or two or however long it may be in that darkness or months even or weeks. It doesn't matter, but you lose control and you lose focus and you are afraid, like we talked about last week, of God maybe or afraid mm-hmm. of an outcome. And you you totally lose focus of that God is our fortress. He is our rock. He is the one who never moves and that we can put our trust in him and that his spirit lives inside of us. It's like we just completely lose focus of that and we see how weak we are. And you know, just now looking back on that week, Last week, I'm like, oh, what was I doing? <laughs> you know, but yeah. but, it, but it is a good reminder of like, hey, next time that happens, Josh, remember. <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, is that God, you always have to remember that you say, oh, thank God for that nightlight or I'd be terrified. Mm-hmm. Then the nightlight goes out. Yeah. <laughs> or thank Ooh. God for this. Yeah. And, and thank God I have this retirement or thank God I have this job mm-hmm. or thank God I have this. And what you're really saying is that's the thing that I'm putting my hope in, my right. faith and my trust in. Instead of realizing that it's God who's providing those things, and and the God who's behind it is the one who's taking care of me, mm-hmm. not the thing itself. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Cool. That's good. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do some little. I'm gonna go to Proverbs. We don't often read from Proverbs on this podcast, not because it's not amazing. It's just that uh, it's less narrative focused. We we tend to like narratives just as people, I think. But Proverbs 16 is so good. So it's like second to Proverbs 31, like yeah. super good. Um, but I'm just going to uh, read the first three verses. It says the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established or um, some, some translations may say, may say succeed. And I have a, you, you may not you may not guess this by looking at my my living in um, uh, office quarters, but I, I have like a this I have a really mathematically oriented mind, even in the way I approach like music. It's all it's all math to me. And so I'm reading this and I see a geometric proof. I don't know if anyone was into plane geometry in high school no. or, or college <laughs> or anything, but um, I I wasn't honestly I was as far as math went I wasn't that wasn't my best topic, um, but it did sink in probably more than um, more than others. And it's kind of like a, if this is true and given that, then what must be true therefore? And you're you, you compile all these facts and, and form a conclusion out of it. And I love scripture that's organized that way. It really hits me. And I see that here in the first three. If, if verse one, the plans of a heart belong to man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord, if that is true, and also given that people always assume that their way is right, but the Lord judges the motives, then what must be true is that if you commit your works to the Lord, then he will make your past. So if he sees your motives and says that those are that your actions are based to please him, then he sees that and he will, based on verse one, the like how the plans of the heart are people's, mm. but the outcome belongs to the Lord. Then God will make the outcome succeed if it is dedicated to him, right? And and I think that is so good for us because um, especially the, when we're recording this podcast, it's around graduation time. 
So high school seniors, college seniors, uh, love second half of verse three. Your plans will be established. Mm. Your plans will succeed. The Lord will will make you profitable. Um, but we we gloss over the commit every way, mm. every walk, every thought, every action that you have to the Lord, because that part is the part that takes work for mm. me. Is is getting in my head that everything I do is for is motivated for the Lord. Um, I found, um, this is just a window into my life in, in the last week or two, um, I finally did something that God was asking me to do for the longest time for like over a year. He asked me to to have a conversation with somebody and I didn't, and I held out for a long time. And I, and over that period, it just seemed like words from the Lord were getting less and less in my life. I just, it was going through this almost a drought. Not that he never spoke to me in my quiet time or anything, but it was just the closeness was going away. And and I would ask God, like, why aren't you giving me clarity on this? Why aren't you giving me clarity on that? And I'd get this gentle reminder, almost like rebuke saying, you know, Daniel, I asked you to do something already. You just haven't done it. Mm -hmm. So I uh, finally did it last week. And, uh, all of a sudden, it's like the dam broke. And I'm glad this has a happy ending. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I finally I did it. I still haven't done it. Still haven't done it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I did it last week, and uh, it's like the spiritual dam has broken. Mm. And it's I'm like, oh, th- I remember this feeling mm. that of God always having something to teach me and always you know working yeah. through me and things that like clarity all of a sudden on things that hadn't been clear and just. Like, so much closer to the Lord. It's like mm. He's establishing my way now that I've, de- you know, like this proverb says. So I got to see that come alive in my life um, this week, and I just, I love it. I love it. It's been good for me. I wish I hadn't had that year of learning, but yeah. uh, that's, that's what I need sometimes. Yeah. Well, the, it's regretted. We always regret that it takes so long. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Forty years. Glad for the lesson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like what, like a. Three month journey, <laughs> took yeah. forty years. I, I want to linger in Proverbs sixteen for a little bit. Uh, this is me cheating and taking advantage of my podcast because it's really not what I was going to share my point. But <laughs> but uh, but since we're in Proverbs sixteen and Daniel started on that road, because he gets to in verse uh, four, he says the Lord has prepared everything for His purpose, even the wicked mm. for the day of disaster. Mm. And I I, I thought it was amazing that God has uh, you know, one of the things about the sovereignty of God is that He doesn't waste anything. That he's saying that everything has been prepared. He has even taken into account the wicked, and has incorporated that into his his plan. And I mean, you have Pharaoh as an example in the Old Testament. How he takes into account Pharaoh and Pharaoh's rebellion, Pharaoh's rebellious heart, and he works it into his plan of redemption for his people. That God doesn't waste any element of of that which is on the earth it's like there it's not like there's ever a thing that happens and god goes oh man now i've got to counteract that i got to do this now and bend this around or whatever there are it looks from our perspective it looks like god is having to stop what he's doing and come over to us and then get us back to where we need to go and then pick up where he's going again but that's not how it works because from for an eternal god he's already incorporated that into his uh, into his accomplishing everything he wants to. So he knows when I deviated off the plat path or whatever, he is he is using that to get to where he wants to go, and uh, which is an amazing thing. Um, and then verse seven, where he says, "When a person's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better a little with righteousness than great income with injustice." And he says, "A person's heart plans his way, 
but the Lord determines his steps. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were uh, this kind of brought to mind when we were talking about uh, this either this past Sunday or Sunday or two ago uh, about how when we are yoked with the Lord, how he has um, how he has he already knows how where he's going to drag us to. <laughs> you know, we have an idea <laughs> in our head. You know, well, just to, the the idea is being yoked together with Christ. And when we are when we are yoked together, it's like a, the, the illustration is when you have the ox, baby ox that you're trying to uh, train how to row, uh, plow a straight path. You put it with the large ox who is pulling the younger ox into the straight line, and that's the that's the way Jesus gives us to say this is what's happening. I'm putting you next to me, and I'm I'm pulling the straight line. I'm doing the brunt of the work. All you have to do is go along with me. If you'll just stop trying, I will pull you the direction we need to go. That's why he says it would be easy. It's going to be simple because mm-hmm. I'm already, I'm doing the heavy lifting here. And, uh, and that's, and if you look in the old Testament, it's very true. When Joshua came up to Jericho, it's like, Oh, big walls fortified, whatever. And God's like, mm, I'll do the heavy lifting. You just do what I tell you to do. And then I'll, I'll make this an easy run for you. Or you come to a sea. Okay. I'll, I'll, you know, getting across this is going to be very difficult unless I take all the water out of the way that will help. Uh, and, uh, and so God does that continually and he's still doing that for us. Jesus is just simply saying, if you come to a barrier, he goes, then trust i will if it's what i want to do i will remove the barrier and get you through this uh, but if the barrier's not being removed <laughs> then that's because that's not where i want to go you're trying to go somewhere i don't want to go and that makes it so much more difficult but when we our plans are adjusted to the path that he has prepared for us then life becomes simple uh, so if life is difficult, if it is a strain, uh, if there's anxiety, stress, whatever, mm, that's because you're most likely trying to go a direction that God doesn't mm-hmm. intend for you to go. Uh, and uh, not to say it's easy uh, to walk with Christ, but it is uh, but it is simple in that uh, the he takes the things out of the way uh, for us. Now, that doesn't mean we won't get hurt. doesn't mean we don't feel pain. Uh, it just simply means that he makes a way for us to go. Mm. But the verse I wanted to focus on, because it... Bridges into what I was going to share for Samuel is verse six. He says, iniquity is atoned for by loyalty and faithfulness, and one turns from evil by the fear of the Lord. And that was in First Samuel chapter 25. And you have this story in uh, in David's life where he's still estranged from Saul. This, um, this guy who, uh, Nabal, who owns uh, a lot of land and he's out shearing his sheep. Uh, and um, Nabal is the uh, is is taking care of his sheep or and and so forth. And David's men are there and they protect him basically. And so uh, David then asks for a favor. Says, Hey, would you uh, when you guys are having your feast, do you mind feeding our crew? And this was kind of a thing, you know. You've got an army out and and hey, we're protecting these guys. So it's kind of like, Hey, we did the protection thing for you and kept everybody safe. Do you mind feeding our guys? Uh, since there's no formal um, military food here for for David's men, and Nabal's like, mm, I'm a he's a sympathizer with Saul, and he's like, not gonna do it. I don't know who you are, you know, you're some upstart kid or whatever, and so uh, it doesn't reflect on that. So David doesn't take it well, and um, and says, well, let's just go wipe the whole group out. We'll just kill every man they got. <laughs> Probably not Oof. the best decision, but a little bit a little bit of rage there. But the 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 crazy part is it's Abigail, uh, Nabal's wife, who is. Uh, who's the one who has such a clear head. And this is what it says in verse 23. It says, Now when Abigail saw David, 
She dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. She takes this gift as she goes out and gets all this food and everything for David's men and then goes out and says, let the iniquity be placed upon me. And so you have Abigail who's willing to have her husband's sin assigned to her because she has the means to atone for him. And it's a pretty incredible picture of of Christ. He's unwilling to recognize his own fault. Therefore, he can't do anything to make his relationship right with David. And his righteous wife sees the error, takes it upon herself because she knows how to appease David's wrath. So is that not Hmm. the picture of Christ? So she sees that this will be the way to find salvation for her husband and the household, takes it upon herself, says, apply the sin to me, and here is the gift that I am capable of giving, Hmm. Hmm. Uh, which is exactly what Jesus does uh, for all of us. So it's not in David we see this picture, and not in Abel, but in the wife, Abigail. To be David, man, and just sometimes be the archetype of Christ, Mm -hmm. and sometimes be the archetype of humanity. (laughs) Back and forth, back and forth. I know, I know, exactly. Here's here's fallen people. Here here I am, the king. Here I am, the mm. failure. Uh, yeah, all the time, back and forth. But anyway, just a, a beautiful picture of atonement that, mm. uh, again, one of those things we read through it over and over, a story I went through, and this time it was like God made that little thing stick out to, hmm. to me in the reading. So. Cool. Well, I'm uh, in John 1, <clears throat> but I'm covering not what you think I'd be covering. Really? I'm not covering John 1, 1 Verse through 1. 4. Why even go to no. John 1? I know. The gonna... rest of it's really not that good. No, okay. no um, it's John 1, 36 through 51. No, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, but there's a really incredible picture of sharing Jesus um, within these verses. A really cool little little something um, that was pointed out to me a long time ago, and I thought I'd just share it. But um, it's this understanding of behold and follow, go and find, plant and bring, and then watch Jesus take over from there. And mm. it is one, it, it's so cool. But so let Wait, me just. Can you say that again? Can you say that again? Yeah. Behold and follow, mm-hmm. go and find, plant and bring, and then Jesus takes over from mm. there. Cool. So anyway, here's here's what we see in scripture. So we're in John 1. We're starting out uh, in John 1 35. And it says, The next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So the first thing that happens is, well, Jesus is there, and he's. Uh, John says, hey, behold, that's that's the Son of God, the Lamb of God. And then what happens? Two of his disciples follow him. And so we see this happen. And then what happens is, like, these disciples who started to follow him, they go and find. And so we see um, one of them found find his brother Simon, uh, and then... We see in verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. And so we see him find uh, and then bring him to Jesus. And we see that again in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. Uh, and this, this is next part, plant and bring. Um, Nathanael said to uh, his brother, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And so he mm. says, hey, come and see. And then what do we see? Jesus says to Nathanael, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And then these next two verses is this, we watched Jesus take over right from the beginning. When he sees Nathanael, he begins to speak to him. And then right here we see Jesus change his life forever. 
Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heaven opened and the angels of God, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And that is an incredible picture of what what God asks us to do, what Jesus has commissioned us to do is to behold and follow him as Lord and Savior of our life. Go out into the harvest, find people, plant seeds in them, bring them and show them who Jesus is and watch Jesus take over and change their lives. And it's not saying that Jesus was never there from the beginning because we know, here's John 1, 1 through 4, and the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, Mm -hmm. and the Word was with God. And then we look down in verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Um, And all things were made through him, and without him um, was not anything made that was made. And so we see Jesus is there from the beginning, which is what we read when 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 he was just walking by John and his disciples. Mm. So Jesus has always been there. He will always be there. Um, and he's He's in charge of it all. But he just asks us to behold and follow, go and find, plant and bring to him. And I think that is an incredible picture um, and simple that we can look at in Scripture. So, mm. yeah, this is really cool. It's good. You should make lesson plans. I do, actually. Do. <laughs> Wednesday, 6 p.m., join us. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, cool. only if you're, you know... You, 13 through 18. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, don't come. We don't want you. <laughs> no. Cool. Cool, cool. Yeah, super cool. All right. Um, I'm going to close this down with um, something back in First Samuel. And, uh, and uh, am I allowed to say PG-13 words? What? I don't know what you're going to say. It, just make sure it's in the text. It's in the... <laughs> It's. I'll, I'll just use what the text says. No, no, no. I was, I was going to modernize the speech. I wasn't going to use any bad words. I was just going to. Uh, so anyway, here's here's the story, right? Um, David, you you were saying how you know David sometimes uh, with his guys would go around and they would need food, right? And because you know there's a traveling band of hundreds of dudes, yeah, right? And right. So Misfits too. Yeah. And chapter twenty one. I was talking to my wife about this this morning, and and she didn't she didn't appreciate it. Maybe you guys will. Maybe it's just. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. I'm really nervous for some <laughs> reason. But, <laughs> but it's just it's you can tell that this section was just the content the backdrop is just it's just a bunch of men yeah. doing men's stuff. Is so David and his fighting guys are out traversing the, the land, um, kinda avoiding Saul, trying to kinda dodge him. And they come up on, on this guy named Ahimelech. Oh. And um he's like <laughs> David says, um, "Hey, he, he kind of lies. He, he, he lies yeah, to he uh, to Ahimelech, and he says, yeah, 'Yeah, I'm working for Saul. So if you could give me some uh, some food, that would be great.'" And Ahimelech's like, "Well, I, I, I'm like a priest. I don't I don't like have just storehouses of food. So um, so I I have this bread that's the you know so I have the, the Lord's bread, bread yeah. the show bread. It's on the it's on the altar, and you know I guess I could technically give it to you if you haven't. And here's the I'm gonna. If you haven't had, uh, if you haven't been intimate with a woman, you or any of your men been intimate with a woman for, you know, like a while. And David's like, bro, we we don't we don't we're not intimate with women when we're at home. <laughs> we've been out on the road for months. <laughs> you think we've? Been? And so um, he's like, oh yeah, okay, cool. I feel you. Here you go. Here's some bread. So he gives him the food out of pity. Um, now, um, based on this, and these guys have now connected. And over in the corner is this dude I've, I've named Doug. Um, yeah, his name what? is Doeg, yeah. but I read Doug yeah. every time I read it. And he's he like has leprosy, and he's one of Saul's guys. And and here David is like, and this is just like guys treating hostile dudes 
like their pals just over mm-hmm. in the corner. You know, totally a man move. And so David and his guys finish eating the bread, and they're like, and David's like, you know what I need? I need a weapon. I need a sword. And guys like again, priest. I don't have <laughs> weapons for you, but you know I do. I you know I have this thing in the back. It's um. Yeah, I don't know if you would you'd recognize it. it's it's Goliath's sword. Oh my god! <laughs> and David's like, oh yeah, that's a great sword. Give it to me. <laughs> and oh. he carries Goliath's sword, which first which must have been enormous, like yeah. a monster hunter kind of sword. But he's wielded it before. Wielded it before, yeah, one one very particular occasion. <laughs> and uh, so he gets the sword and he goes off, and that's the whole story. And and so first of all, I just think it's a total dude story. Um, just every aspect of it. Um, but what I wrote down is how true to form that God would provide through the means of David's first act of obedience for him. Um, that sword um, that would protect him from Saul, that would protect David from Saul, the man who should have had a claim on the sword, right? When David killed Goliath, it should have been Saul hmm. killing Goliath. Saul was the tallest. He was the king. He was the most. He was the only one with armor. He should have been the one to fight goliath back then but he opted out and so david kills goliath and david has claim to the sword Hmm. and so it's it's crazy that god provides the sword in david's time of need against saul like i think that that's that's so like god and psalm 52 you can go and um doug goes and reports to saul and and psalm 52 is actually written out of david's experience with doug in, in that moment but um but and, Doug, I just, and Doug's a foreigner too. And Doug, yeah. So, so it's just, anyway. I just I think that's very true to real life. Um, very often, where um, we don't we don't have the privilege of looking into the future and seeing what God's going to do with just the little things that we do. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, David and Goliath's story isn't a little thing. It's a big mm-hmm. thing. But um, but he couldn't have known that years in the future he would need some a small piece of that story to like save his life. Yeah. You know and. Um, so just the even the small acts of obedience that you do, the little things from little moments of your time with the Lord, He will take and and you will need it later. Yeah. Um, so um, be obedient now so that you'll be equipped later for the hard times. Do you think of a is is there something in literature or in movie form that makes you? Did you think of when you see that hear that? Wait. When you hear what? About the story of David, David getting oh, the, saw, uh, the, sorry, no. the sword from the priest. Uh, Lord of the Rings? Yes! yes. Is it not? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. The, the yeah. sword, Aragorn yes. sword? Yes, where the sword is there in, uh-huh. the, in the place or whatever, and then they have it reconstructed for him to yeah. use the wield. Yes, it's a pretty powerful. I, I, I always comes to mind. I guarantee you Josh hasn't seen Lord of the Rings. I haven't. Oh! I know. Man, that just hurt. That's a visceral type of pain I right know. There. Now my yeah. brother... You guys would like my brother uh, more than me. <laughs> Just FYI. <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah. so Josh, we're Josh take... the Edomite. Wait, hold on. A couple oh, things oh, on yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. Uh, because Doug is uh, an Edomite. So he's <laughs> actually from the house of Esau, uh, which is kind of uh, interesting. But there's yeah. the there's part of that story that, uh, that it, it ends so horribly. Mm. That whole story is because Ahimelech winds up his whole f- – he – and all the priests wound up getting slaughtered by Saul because of that action with David. Mm-hmm. And wow. it never would have happened had that Edomite not been there mm-hmm. watching the whole thing uh, in the background and seeing it and then reported it back to Saul. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's always that 
uh, one, David, uh, you know, and, and then Jesus references that uh, instance with David uh, later in the New Testament uh, when they're, when his disciples are eating on the Sabbath and they're questioning whether they should be allowed to do to go through the fields and whatever and get their food. And Jesus references David and says, that's what David did. So David, Jesus looks back at this event and doesn't say it was bad. It was just, a, it's like, hey, the bread is there to be eaten. And when it's necessary to do that and he, and he says that, you know sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath we're not there trying to serve the law the laws were created for us not us created for the laws mm-hmm. uh and and that's uh and, and, and but there's such a Saul gets so twisted in the, in the last part of his life and and yet all the players who are there are he it's like he's now shifted to being with the shady he's taking his his guidance from that which is not part of Israel. And even his own men won't slay the priest. They mm. refuse to do so. And so here you have this Edomite, this non-Israelite um, from the house of, of uh, well, obviously Esau is the opposite of Jacob. So he, yeah. uh, so, he's, so he is the one who winds up slaughtering all of God's people, so, or God's men. So anyway. That's exciting because there's a question that has to uh, do with Edom. In our next, Ooh. in our next oh, section. Question All right, question. Yeah. Segway. Feel myself segueing. <laughs> we are at the question answer segment. Josh has now seen the extended edition of the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> and we are ready to dig into the questions. So yeah. um, we have we have a couple Josh has compiled. So uh, you want to take it away? Yeah. So the first question is in Psalm 66 through 9. And this one is kind of a just an Old Testament question in general. But um, in Psalm 66 through 9, it talks about all these different nations. It's um, Shechem, the Vale of Succoth, Gilead, Manasseh, Ephraim, Judah, Moab, and Edom and Philistia. So what are these nations? Why are they important? What's the significance of them? Hmm. Well, he starts out by sharing uh, nations within Judea, within Israel, um, so that God is sovereign over these. um, uh, Where he says, God has spoken in a sanctuary. I will celebrate. um, And then it's saying, I I am the one. I am the one who uh, controlled these lands and so forth. And so he's, he's literally laying down, here are the places that are under my dominion. And so he, he's going through uh, the geographical area of Israel and then uh, beyond its, and then, and then he goes beyond its borders and saying, even the countries surrounding Israel are under my reign, are under my control. Uh, we mentioned um, uh, Moab and Edom uh, are, are kind of extensions of, of the, um, I'm trying to think of the Moabites' origin, but, the, but would you take the people in, in the land of Midian, the people, uh, Esau's descendants, uh, Ishmael's descendants, uh, all these people are the, become the nations that surround Israel. Uh, that's why they're mentioned back in, in Genesis. And, and then some of which are become greater adversaries of Israel than others based on how they treated people in the Exodus. Uh, and, and so 
but here the psalmist is just simply saying all these people are under the reign of God. These people don't have their own gods, and so uh, we have our God, they have their God, and then we fight against each other. All these people actually belong to our God, and what happens to them is also under uh, his his reign. And, uh, and and it ends with Philistia because he uh, is obviously the, that's the 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 people that were always the adversarial uh, enemies. One thing interesting about Philistia, just because. Um, since we're on the topic, is that when you have this come up in the time of David, David goes and defects to the Philistines. Uh, most likely the Philistines were a much greater army than Israel. If you think of it, it's a lot like pe- Europeans versus Native Americans in, in that regard, because you have people who are part of the Iron Age, much more advanced weaponry, much more advanced uh, defense systems. Uh, so all Israel has in its favor is they can they have the high ground in a lot of places. And so uh, the people of Philistia, the kings of Philistia, have to take that high ground. It's a very difficult place. While you can take it, it's hard to keep it because you have to maintain people there. It's spread out. It's it's remote, but it was a it was a, a trade route. And so, uh, but when David then defects to the Philistines and so forth, he most likely is learning their skills of 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 dealing with weaponry and so forth. So so he becomes uh, he gets basically all their trade secrets. Then he defects back to Israel, and then he defeats them all. And so and he becomes one of the of course greatest kings in Israel's history, and, and definitely one from a conquest standpoint. So. Um, but anyway, that's that's the psalmist saying that God is over all these people, that they all belong to him. He does with them what he wants. Cool. Well, the next question is in John 2, 23 and 24, and a little bit of 25. But it says, now when he, when he this is Jesus, mm-hmm. was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name what they saw the signs that he was doing, or when they saw the signs, sorry. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all the people and needed no one to bear witness about him, for he himself knew what was in man. Um, so the question is, what what would he entrust himself to them with? That That's kind of where it comes up and and yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, here you have a difficult part of the Gospel of John because uh, in the Synoptic Gospels, you kind of get a, a different timeline in your head of how all these things are transpiring. Basically, the ministry of Jesus took place around the Sea of Galilee, and and that's where all his works were done. And so when, in the Synoptic Gospels, when you see Jesus coming in, uh, really the Jewish people are, it seems like they're getting exposed to him for the first time and, and uh, coming to an understanding. But within John, here you have these uh, this timeline. It doesn't really fit into a perfect timeline because all of a sudden Jesus is in Jerusalem, then we're back in Galilee, then we're back in Jerusalem, <laughs> and then we're doing all these different feasts. And which feast are we doing forth and which Passover celebration are we talking about? When Jesus is cleansing the temple and the synoptics, that seems like it, it comes right before his crucifixion in that, uh, I mean, he comes in. Uh, on Palm Sunday, uh, Hosanna, Hosanna, to glory in the highest, and then he goes into the temple and cleanses the temple and then uh, has this confrontation. It, it fits into a much nicer story for us. And then John comes in and it's like we're starting at the very beginning of the book and, and we're, we're covering all these different things because John is trying to convey to us uh, these – like if you say he's, he's taking scenes from the life of Jesus and trying to say here are some important truths – that he is revealing about himself in each of these different things. 
the turning the water and the wine is is he starts with this is this is him establishing that I am uh, who I claim to be and here's my first sign with my disciples of people seeing in public me doing something that shows I have the power of God and this it begins here and uh, and it's going to come back around that he goes back to Cana you know uh, later for uh, for as it comes to just before his crucifixion but um, but here you have uh, the Jewish Passover is coming up. Uh, he, he goes in, he cleanses the temple and so forth. He has zeal for the house, and uh, and the, he has his confrontation with the Jewish, with the with the leaders, and, and about the temple and so forth. And so it says, while he was there, many believed in him. But the question is, is so uh, was was he established in Jerusalem at that time? And John's point out, no, he was not established in Jerusalem at the time because. He did not want to be established at the time, and was not in not. And he knew their hearts. He knew that this was not them wanting him as the Messiah, not wanting to repent before God and be right with God. Uh, this was uh, either a result of the signs or wanting something from selfish intent and so forth. One of the things uh, that the Bible teaches us about trust, and I've made this statement to people before that I don't trust people, and. And I, I make that flippantly sometimes, uh, not realizing that people take that the wrong way, um, especially when, you, when somebody says, hey, do you trust me? I'm like, I don't trust anybody. And they take that the wrong way. But Jesus didn't <laughs> trust anybody. And and here's what Jesus did trust, though. He trusted in the Father's ability to change anybody. Mm-hmm. And and so a good rule of thumb is don't trust people, but trust what God can do in people. And and so anything, and, and, you know, it's like, talking about people doing good things uh people can do good things if um if it's god who's behind them there's nothing good in any of us uh you know and that that kind of he goes into john chapter three and he even says uh, to nicodemus you know that uh that he says how why would i trust you heavenly things if you can't grasp earthly things, mm-hmm. you know, if you can't grasp this. And, and, and so it, the story in chapter three is building upon what he's saying here in, at the end of chapter two. He's saying, I can't tell you everything that I've got going on and what this all means and, and, and who I am and how this is all playing out. Because you all you can't grasp the basic elemental things I'm throwing out in front of you. You confuse that and get that all awkward and so forth. Even the disciples spending three years Jesus didn't understand who he was, couldn't understand his message, didn't get anything until the Holy Spirit, until they receive the Holy Spirit, then the light goes on and then they have understanding and so forth. The, it's, it's weird because we experience this all the time today because we're, we'll be talking about the things of God with people and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they're like, and they're using, and you can see they're using Bible facts and Bible knowledge to say, you're talking about this, and I've heard this story, mm-hmm. and you're talking about that. But you can see there's not a spiritual enlightenment there, that right. they're just simply memorized things that people have said over time, but they don't have that understanding. They don't have something that comes from above, because there is a light that comes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like when the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it says, you know, we were walking along, and then he made, he spoke all these things to us, and it made sense. And then all of a sudden, ah, yes, then we understood what he was meaning. And when they recognized who he was, uh, he disappears. And and this is a, and this is, you know, we we want to believe that we have understanding and that mm-hmm. we know all these things and, and get it and everything. But the truth is, unless he's revealed it to us, unless he's shown it to us what it means, we don't have understanding. 
And and so often we're faking it. I I remember um, a guy. Uh, this I'm trying not to get too off topic here, but I remember uh, having a discussion about speaking in tongues. And people are talking about this is how you get people to speak in tongues. And it's like, I don't want to speak in tongues unless it's real, unless it's something I can say I didn't make myself do it. It right. just happened. And it's never happened. So I just so I'm, I'm cool with that. It's OK. But it wasn't that I didn't. They were like, so you don't believe in it. it's like, I'm not saying that I don't believe in it. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm just saying I've never had that experience and I'm not going to manufacture the experience. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to force it. But. Take speaking in tongues out of the picture. We do that all the time. Right. So many people do it all the time with all of the things we understand about God. Yep. It's like, and and trying to, it's trying to uh, when you're talking to somebody and they say, yeah, I'm I'm a Christian and I'm a follower of Jesus and so forth, and then they begin to talk about it, and you're like going, hmm, yeah, maybe, yeah, <laughs> but but the what you're describing is not what God reveals Himself to be in the right. Bible, nor is it the experience that I have or anybody else I know who right. walks with Christ. Right. <laughs> so so. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm praying for you. I hope. I hope you get to know him in a real way. Uh, but that's uh, that's because you can't trust people. Our we are deceived by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Our own nature deceives us. The only thing we can trust is that which God does. The good news is is that God does did create us for good works, and He did um, make us. Uh, does what is necessary in order to accomplish those good works through us. So obviously that's why we call it the gospel because it is good news. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, this has been fun. Thanks for talking to me about understanding Jesus. <laughs> I hope everybody does understand Jesus now and yeah. then we get bond with our lives. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we will hopefully see you guys next week so we can understand Jesus again. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast. If you would like more information on Understanding Jesus or First Baptist Church of Jackson or would just like to submit a question or comment, then you can call the church office at 573-243-8415 or you can email us at office at fbcj.us. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon.